Hi, I'm Julie Morgenstern, and welcome to Time to Parent, the podcast that will give you more time, less guilt, and deeper joy. Today on the show, we have someone who I'm sure you're all familiar with, Hilary Frank, creator, one-time host, and now executive producer of the podcast called The Longest Shortest Time. Hillary created The Longest Shortest Time after a particularly rough delivery when she had her baby, something I can also relate to. Hillary is also the author of a new book, Weird Parenting Wins, Bathtub Dining, Family Screams, and Other Hacks from the Parenting Trenches. And that idea of weird parenting wins is why I wanted to bring Hillary on the show today. Hillary has covered it all on the longest, shortest time, and she's heard so many stories from parents trying to do the best they can with their kids. And some of those stories, those wins, involve things like pig snorting in your child's ear to get them to stop crying. I thought that was pretty funny. What I love is the community Hillary has built for parents with the stories she's done. And we all know by now that having a village of people around you, even if it's just for emotional support, is vital to surviving parenthood. This episode will be structured in the same way our last one was, part interview, part conversation. We'll start with Hillary telling us a little about herself and her newest book, and then we talk about how relating to your kids with weird parenting wins can calm down even the most crazy situations as well as how parenting strategies can change as kids get older. Hillary has so much to say, and I'm eager for you to hear it. Without further ado, let's go to the conversation. So hi, Hillary. I am so delighted to be talking to you. I've listened to your podcast. I've read your book. I think you're just fabulous. You talk truth. And uh, about the whole parenting experience. So um, you've been a podcaster for a long time. And you had one of the first truly popular uh, parenting podcasts. And for my listeners who might not be familiar with your show, which I'm sure uh, is very few, but they're out there. Can you talk a little bit about the history of that podcast and why you started the show to begin with? Sure. So I started The Longest Shortest Time at the end of 2010. And um, prior to that, I had been a radio reporter for about 10 years. Mm. And um, so I had been reporting for like This American Life and Studio 360 and a lot of the NPR shows. And then I had a baby in 2010 and I had a really rough childbirth and recovery and I wasn't working and I was trying to figure out how I was going to get back into working. And... um, I, I knew that it was hard for women after they had had babies to get, re-enter the workforce. And I had been a freelancer for all of those 10 years. And so I was trying to figure out, like, how can I have a calling card? Like, how can I prove that I still have chops? Hmm. And making a podcast was a way to prove that. It was something I could do at home with no overhead and um, so I wanted to figure out, like, well, what, what am I going to make a project about? And after I had my kid, we moved four months later to a town where I knew nobody. Mm. And um, I was having a really hard time connecting with other moms 
um, for the first two months of my daughter's life, I was unable to walk because of my childbirth injury. And so when I moved, I was really trying to connect deeply with other moms and sort of try to process what I had gone through. And I would have these experiences where I'd be like in a coffee shop and I'd see another mom with a little baby And I'd be like, oh, look at you out and about. So awesome. You're doing it. You know, and the mom would be like, well, it's been two weeks, you know. You mean, what do you mean it's (laughs) been two weeks? Like the mom would say, well, well, it's been two weeks. Of course I'm out and about, you know. Oh, ouch. (laughs) Yeah, ouch. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I just end of conversation. I didn't know where to go from there. I would have similar conversations around town. And so um, eventually I did. It makes me want to cry when I hear you say that. Just like... (laughs) Such a wound to the heart when you're trying. You feel so vulnerable and you feel like your experience must be everybody's. And then you can't get that toehold. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I I eventually did find my people. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, I remembered from all of my experience as a radio reporter that if you stick a microphone under somebody's face, you kind of have license to ask them anything. And people are more willing to open up to you. And so I was using the podcast as my way of connecting with other people more deeply about parenthood. And so the way it started was sometimes I was interviewing people I knew, and then also I would invite the audience to pitch me their stories of surprising struggles in parenthood. And very quickly I was hearing from strangers. And so I would get on the phone with them. We would try to coordinate when our kids were both taking naps and just sort of started recording stuff in my bedroom and – Um, making the podcast whenever I had time to make it. And eventually it really blew up. And um, it was not only cathartic for me personally, but I was finding that, to my great surprise, it was also helping other people um, feel less alone as well. Wow. It's so so much about that that I want to sort of drill down on. One thing in particular, through the eyes of a time management person, Listening to you, I talk a little bit about that structure because I do think you were saying like you did it when if you were interviewing somebody, you tried to coordinate when both kids were taking naps, which would probably be hard to do, yeah. by the way. Sometimes so there were kids how did like you in the fit background. In the yeah. time for mm-hmm. all the listeners that are like, I'd like to do something as a stay at home parent to do, how did you how did you actually do the time management piece to keep cranking out? Was it weekly episodes? I did not do it weekly at first. Okay. I, so in the beginning, when I wasn't getting paid for it, I did it. I did 20 episodes over three years, and they were irregular. Oh, everybody hear that? See, it doesn't have to be perfect. I yeah. love that. So this was also, so it was at a time when it was unthinkable that you could get paid to make a podcast. There were very right. few people doing it. And so, like I said, I was just trying to do it um, as a sample, as a work sample, for when I was ready to try to get hired. Um, mm. So that was my intent. Podcasting is very different now, and it, they come with trailers and stuff. This was not the case when I was doing this. But um, time management-wise, I did eventually, you know, I would hire a sitter for like three hours a week just so that I could have the time to do it. I would do it, you know, when my daughter went to sleep, I would work on it. Um, then eventually she entered, um, preschool and we, we upped the hours over time. And then it became eventually my full-time job. And then, and once I was getting paid for it, then I could justify more childcare. Um, it's a great story. 
on so many levels how that evolved, mm-hmm. uh, the need and the progression. Mm-hmm. And then as your daughter got older you, and the podcast, I guess, grew in maturity also, you were mm-hmm. able to really blow it out in a great way. Let's shift a little bit into part of the reason we invited you on. Your new book, Weird Parenting Wins, Bathtub Dining, Family Screams, and Other Hacks from the Parenting Trenches, just came out in January. Yes. And I love the premise that it's really built on the community, right? Community voices and how parents figure this stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um and the ways to really just be innovative of a parent. We can learn from each other if we do share these <laughs> hacks and tricks. So can you talk about how the book came to be? Yeah. So when I first became a parent, I was reading a lot of um, books by like parenting experts. Things like how to get your baby to sleep, how to soothe the baby, yeah. how to um, feed the baby. And... Sometimes the tips I got in those books were working and often they weren't. Mm -hmm. And then I would feel like I was doing it wrong or there was something wrong with my kid. I just wound up feeling like a failure. Like Mm -hmm. this was the most vulnerable time in my life. I had only just become a parent and I already felt like I was failing at it. Yeah. And I realized a couple years in that um, the things that really did work for me were things I had made up. So, you know, I learned that when I stroked the little curve um, at the top of my daughter's nose, that was the thing that would get her to go to sleep. I didn't read that in a book. Yeah. And I, I wrote a blog post on The Longest Shortest Time asking the audience if other people had things like this, things that they had made up to get their kids to do what they needed them to do. And we just got all of these responses back, and they were hilarious. It yeah. was... You know, things like a dad who pig snorted in his daughter's ear to get her to stop crying. (laughs) And the couple who traded off um, charging their electric toothbrushes to conduct the baby to sleep, sort of like a white noise machine. And um, I loved them so much. And I thought there's a project here. I don't know what it is, but I want to collect like the parenting brain trust here to help parents kind of trust their intuition a little bit more and celebrate their weirdness. Well, that's fabulous. So, you know, I have to ask this just given the topic of the book, but are there any strategies for time management that uh, and parenting that you found particularly innovative? <laughs> so I don't know if it's so much time management, but there are a lot of... Um, there are a lot of strategies for helping, like helping parents to get work done or just me time, you yeah. know, yeah, perfect. which I think is actually even just the first step in being able to have creativity as a parent is like getting yourself a little centered. Exactly. So, um, you know, there are fun ones like there's the mom who when she's trying to write emails, she sends her daughter on post-it note missions and she like <laughs> has the kid go like, go put a post-it note on the refrigerator. And like that takes some time. And then she she puts them. <laughs> That's like for a toddler. Um There's a mom who, um, when she needs a a little just like recharging time, she plays a game called What's on My Butt, which is where she lies face down on the couch and her daughter finds some random object to put on her butt and then the mom has to guess what it is. And the longer it takes to guess, the longer you get to lie there. (laughs) Yeah, it's fabulous. I read that. I I love that one. It's a really great Yeah, it is. I do think time management for parents is so much about finding the space 
to just have a little recharge time, mm-hmm. right? A little yes. break. I have found as a coach, time management coach, working with parents, um, the parents need to get very innovative about the way they take me time as well. Mm-hmm. Not look for these huge, long blocks of time that we were all used to from when we were growing up, right? Yeah. Like before you have kids for 25 or 30 years of your life, me time was like, 90 minutes at the gym three times a week and (laughs) long date nights until three o'clock in the morning. And you can't do that when you become a parent. You have to shift your approach. Yeah. So why do you think these innovative uh, solutions are so vital to these years to stay creative and to see things differently? I mean, I think you said it, you know, we need me time of some kind or another. Um, Otherwise, you know, how do we take care of another person? Exactly. So I think, um, and where the creativity comes in is you also really hit it, I I think, when you said, like, we have these expectations that are unrealistic for for what me time looks like. Um, And I do think that a little bit of time each day to, you know, feel like yourself is really important. But I also think you can sometimes find a little bit of yourself in connection with your kid. Um, Because things were so difficult for me in the beginning, um, I realized that if I just had one moment each day where I felt happy, like if I could really feel pure joy for one moment each Mm -hmm. day, it would change everything. And so I would force it on myself in a way. I I would be like, okay, now I am going to look into my baby's eyes and enjoy it. <laughs> you know, and otherwise I would be dwelling on the fact that I couldn't get out of bed. Right. Um so sometimes, you know, we have to look for those things. I think that's huge. I think what you just said is so massive. And I you know, I learned I researched the science of human development. What do kids need to feel loved and secure? Uh, which I didn't know, like, right? Mm-hmm. What, how much time? That, the question was how much time? And, and, the, and what I discovered uh, through digging and digging and digging through the studies and talking to experts is that what kids thrive on is short bursts of truly undivided attention where you are really entering their world uh, delivered consistently, like, you know, in the daily moments. So... I often get asked by people when I speak about this, they're like, well, you know, do you have to do like present every single moment? And as much as it's nice to do, I often say, if you can have one or two moments of pure presence in your day, it will change your life. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do 24 hours of presence. We want it, but like (laughs) monks don't even get that, right? That sounds exhausting. (laughs) Yeah, exhausting. So I love that. Just one moment, if you just went for one moment. And how did it change you? How did it transform your experience? Well, I think it did provide some connection between me and my daughter. And it, it allowed me to see that, I guess it allowed me to see that there could be a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, like one day when I wasn't going to be in a lot of physical pain, I could have a relationship with her, right. you know, when we weren't in such like a crisis mode. Um, there was something to look forward to. But it also just, I don't know, it gave me a memory, I guess, too, of something yeah. to look back on 
when I was in like my darkest moments, you know, doing my sits bath. <laughs> right. You know, I could be like, oh, but I'll oh, remember that time when we looked into each other's eyes. <laughs> you know? That's so awesome. It's just great. It's a great lesson for all of us. We'll be back in a moment with more of my conversation with Hillary Frank. And now we go back to my conversation with Hillary Frank. One of the th- quadrants I think parents really struggle with in, in with everything that's on their plates is re- what I call the relating. It's that connecting time. And as much as we all want it, it's very hard to get centered, to get present, to turn off all the to-dos and the pressures or the pain or the sleeplessness or mm-hmm. all the things. But what I notice over and over in your stories, and I was laughing out loud when mm-hmm. I was reading your book, I really was, was uh, how you take often these like tense, difficult moments where your kid is having a meltdown of some sort, and you diffuse it by relating, by sort of connecting. You were talking about, I think, the ski uh, yeah, the singing the blues while you were waited on the ski line. I love that story. It really was <laughs> hilarious. I'd love you to tell it. Yeah. And then just I want to hear a little bit more about how you just sort of, it seems like to be the way you roll as a parent is to like lean in and empathize and and diffuse Oh, that's tantrums. nice to hear. I, don't, I think I, I wouldn't have worded it that way, but that's so nice. I think I, what I'm doing is I'm like, how can I have fun in this moment? This isn't fun. I'm going crazy. Like, how can I, how can I make this more fun for me? Oh, good, good. But, um, but I guess, um, but I'm glad to hear that that sounds like it turns into us relating. But um, so the ski story is I'm not a skier. I don't know what I'm doing with skis, but we had friends who invited us to come like go skiing with them. And it turned out it was the most crowded day of the year. It was like, um, it was Martin Luther King Day weekend. And I didn't know this, but that's the most popular time for people to go skiing. And so we were waiting outside in the cold for hours for these skis. And I guess we felt like we had driven long enough that we just should do this. And of course, my kid was complaining and she was just whining and like kicking rocks around and stuff. And I, it was getting to the point where it wasn't just annoying to me, but I felt like she was probably getting annoying to the people around us. And I knew I needed to do something. And so I told her, um, if you're going to whine, you have to sing the blues. <laughs> so I taught her I taught her the blues form. <laughs> yes. And we just like made up these rhymes and like it was it was the I'm freezing my butt off blues. Oh, it's just great. Um yeah. and so she got into it for a little while. <laughs> it, it it probably took like 15 minutes before she was whining again. But it but we had those 15 minutes where she wasn't whining. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, I think what you are doing is and um when I spoke to and uh, a, a lot of child development experts, they said that I call it like relating and teaching, mm-hmm. right? And so, so often, and then they're different. But we think we have to teach. Listen, don't, it's not good to yell. It's not good to whine. And you could so easily as a parent, especially you're conscious of everybody else, try to correct your child in that moment to teach them the right way to be composed. Mm-hmm. But 
the better way is in order to teach, you have to first relate, which is to like empathize. I get it. It's awful. And that you amplify it into like a blues number, which was great. So I think um, you're doing what the experts say, believe it or not. (laughs) And you see, you figured it out on your own. Uh (laughs) So when you started making the show, your daughter was young, but now she's eight going on nine or? Yeah, she'll be nine in February. Oh, soon. And she's in a different place at a different age. And my daughter is fully grown yeah. adult, though I still do think of her as my daughter, and I will always be her mom, so <laughs> that's the way that goes. It's a forever relationship, which is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think the innovative strategies uh, change as kids get older? Like, how do we relate, continue to relate to your kids as they evolve, to keep up with them? You know, you were talking about understanding what's going on in your daughter's head but kids keep changing before your very eyes you kind of figure them out and then like boom yeah they're in a new place you got to catch up is there what what have you learned in that book with uh the stories from parents about keeping up with yeah their kids changing evolving personalities needs capabilities you know i'm a, a trend i noticed is that with very little kids a lot of the strategies revolve around white lies mm. um, and sort of like telling your kid a little fib to, to convince them to do what you want them to do. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of that, like a lot of the food um, strategies, um, you know, a kid who um, decided he didn't like home cooked food, he only liked takeout. And so his mom um, snuck home some like Chinese takeout containers and um, would would make home cooked food and put it in. Oh, we're, we're having take. Yep, you're taking takeout for lunch. <laughs> um, stuff like that. And then as they get older, a lot of the strategies are more about like true communication mm-hmm. and like working together as a team. So one of my favorites for teenagers is an emergency family emoji. And this is like, I love this because it shows how technology can be used in a positive way. People mm-hmm. are often like complaining about technology. But um, this one family has a system where um, if the teenager is in a situation where um, they feel unsafe, they can, I think they, they text the emoji to the parent and they get picked up, no questions asked. Mm. Um or if they text a question and they, and they include the emoji, the parent knows that they need to answer no. Um, and then the kid gets to turn the parent into the bad guy. Right. Like, I can't oh, I can't go to the party or I can't stay out exactly. later. Or, oh, I wish I could, but it's my parents. And it really helps the kid to feel safe. And the parent is saying, like, I trust you to decide when you're feeling unsafe and you don't yeah. have to tell me anything else. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Clever tricks, man. People come up with wins. And I also notice you call them wins and not tricks. Is that very conscious on your part? Yes. Yes. Um, Because I feel like there's a lot of parenting culture now that talks about fails. You know, people use the hashtag parent fail. Mm. And and it's almost in this weird braggy way, you know, and it bothers me because I feel like there's so many opportunities to feel like a failure as a parent. And some of these things that people are doing when they say parent fail are actually um, just about creativity and like finding little tricks and hacks around being a parent. And so you could look, if you look at it as a win, it's more positive. Totally. 
so I want to end uh, talking about the community that you've built with this podcast. And one of the concepts I talk about in the book is building a village, how essential that is to being a happy parent and being able to get anything done. So, uh, you know, parents can't parent alone. They need emotional support and concrete support throughout the parenting years. So that's what I love so much about your podcast and now your book. You've created this amazing community. Even by writing the book, you've pulled together people who didn't know each other to Mm -hmm. share their stories and ideas with each other. So just talk about that with us a little bit more. What's the response been like? And... um, uh, a little bit more about this whole support system that you've created. Yeah, and that um, I didn't start out thinking that that was something I was going to do. But once I realized that it was happening, I did try to foster it in a couple of ways. So um, I think when I started The Longest Shortest Time, I realized that a lot of parenting media was really divisive and was almost like encouraging parents to argue with each other and and pitting parents against each other on one side or another of some, you know, parenting technique. Mm -hmm. And and so parents were sort of primed to um, judge each other and argue with each other on the Internet. And then when I started The Longest Shortest Time, it was all just about storytelling. And it was not about how to be a parent. We weren't giving tips. It was just about, like, listen to this story. And and the um, side effect of that is that parents are not even the, – the audience is not entirely parents. So people were listening to stories about other people who at face value were nothing like them mm-hmm. and relating to them and finding that they were surprised – that they were relating to them and understanding sort of like the motivations between why the motivations about why um, a particular person would make um, the choices that they made in their mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. And so I was finding that our comment sections on our website were a lot more supportive and people would would debate, but they would have civil debates most of the time. And if they weren't, I could step in and moderate. Mm-hmm. And say like, well, that's not that's not how we talk here. <laughs> People need to feel safe coming on the podcast, and I think that's extended to the book, mm-hmm. where um, it's harder to tell in the book. I think how much diversity is in the book, uh, and maybe even sometimes on the podcast because you're just hearing a voice, you're not seeing a face. But we have. Um, on the podcast and in the book, people come from all over the country. And in the book, we even have some international entries. And I just think it's so cool that, you know, it, it, it was it was surprising to me how easily people jumped into this um, weirdness filter, you know, that they understood what I was saying when I was like yeah. looking for weird strategies. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, I got you. I got that. <laughs> and I and I think I think that. um like it might sound corny to say, but I I think that we're in like a really divisive time politically in our nation's history. And I think that I'm finding um, among parents who are usually so divided about things like our weirdness is uniting us. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really awesome. Well, I really thank you so much for joining me, Hillary. It was Wonderful. And if people are interested and want to learn more uh, about the podcast and about your book, where should they go? They should go to longestshortesttime.com. Great. Longestshortesttime.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
I hope you thought that conversation with Hillary was a win. I know I did. Again, you can find out more about Hillary and buy her book on the Longest Shortest Time website, longestshortesttime.com. This wraps the first season of the Time to Parent podcast. We're going to be going on a hiatus, so keep an eye on the Macmillan Podcast Twitter account for more details. That's at Mac, M-A-C, underscore podcasts. You can also check out my Twitter account, my Instagram account, and come to my website, juliemorgenstern.com, for the latest information. As always... I invite you to stay in touch and find out more information about me and the Time to Parent book on my website, juliemorgenstern.com. And I love nothing more than speaking to live audiences around the country about the ideas in Time to Parent. Those conversations are always electric and moving, and people leave with practical insights and motivation to take charge of their time as parents in a way that is so fulfilling. So if you want to bring me to your parenting group or your company, come to my website and click on the Contact Me page, and we'll be in touch with you right away. On that note, I'm Julie Morgenstern. Thanks for joining me one last time as we together make time to parent. Parent.